City Lights is a community of faith in Jesus, seeking to equip people to exalt Him and extend His kingdom. This message is from our study through the Gospel of John called Believe, Jesus Changes Everything. If you are encouraged and challenged by this message, please share it with someone, post it on social media, or let us know by leaving feedback on our iTunes podcast. If you have a Bible, you can turn to John chapter 16. If you're just joining us, haven't been here with us for a while, it's your first Sunday, we try to go through books of the Bible the way they're written, meaning like uh, there's chapters and verses, which if you're not really familiar with that is, it's um, when you, if you were to organize a long, like really, 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 really long email, if you wrote it to somebody, and you want to try to organize your thoughts and the stories you're telling, you'd put all these different markings in it, so that if you were to refer back to that email with somebody, uh, you could say, hey, not just like near the middle, kind of towards the long part, do you remember when I talked about that thing? You'd say, hey, it's in chapter 2 or chapter 16, verse 5. Now, we don't do that with our organization of communication, but this is, uh, the Bible is a collection of 66 different books, and a whole bunch of writers of those books passed down truly for thousands of years now. So somebody came alongside after these things were all written, and they had the gift of organization, and they said, hmm, I think I'm going to choose when, they, when the chapter ends and when a new one starts. And so though those things are not part of the original documents or letters or information, they help us. So just in case you're ever curious, what is 16 and verse, thir- verse 5? That's always been there. Well, it's always been there in our generation, but you actually can buy a Bible that has no chapters and no verse points, and you can just read through it the way that it was originally written in that way. But we have the advantage of going, turn to John chapter 16, verse 5, and that's where we'll be this morning. If you're visiting with us, Matt, you'll see the scriptures like really huge up on the screen right here. So if you don't have a Bible with you or you're not on your device, you can see it that way, and hopefully you'll be able to appreciate it. Uh, we're in a conversation, like I said, called Believe, and we just have titled the whole book of John called Believe because John mentions and talks about and teaches and prioritizes believing, ultimately not just in Jesus, but believing Jesus, actually believing that Jesus truly is somehow mysteriously and almost beyond what we can comprehend, he truly was God and truly holy man, and as he lived his life, he showed us what ultimately the most normal life in history looks like. He just lived in fellowship with his father. And he really starts to talk about that pointedly here. And what's pretty amazing is that he includes us in his ourness, their withness, their plurality, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. He starts to communicate, and and there's really his last teaching in John's account. He starts to include us in it. I love how Darrell said it. It's not just our story as in my story. It's our story as in all of us. We may have come in a different boat, but we're all in the same boat. And that's that's a really... Really powerful, profound, and accurate way to say it, that your problem is my problem, your struggle is my struggle, and uh, we're all in the same boat together is quite a stunning way to say it. I came across a story last night when I was preparing for today, yesterday afternoon, and it was a pretty stunning story. Um, The story takes place, and it's a true story, the story takes place in Japan, and there are beautiful cliffs that the ocean hits against in Japan. In fact, here's an image of it. These cliffs are beautiful sites to go to, to enjoy, obviously. When I saw this, I was like, that needs to go on my bucket list of places to go. I don't want to hear the water roar. It's pretty stunning. The closest I've ever seen to that was when I was in Costa Rica, and there were mountains coming out of the, um, right at the ocean line is there as well, and it reminded me of like Lord of the Rings, such a beautiful site. This is a gentleman right here who's been uh, by this site almost on a daily basis for the last 20 years. And if you read the article that's written about him, he's not just a sightseer. He's actually watching because this is the 
probably, it's perhaps the second um, most frequented place for people to commit suicide. And so to date now, he has saved 609 people from committing suicide. And so he was a professional police officer for his career. And on his last day, he was pulling bodies out of the water. So since then, he spent the rest of his days on earth not only doing this, but organizing people to do it. In fact, when they, they bulked up their efforts to try to rescue people from committing suicide, they would do it in pairs, which seems like a great idea. But when they would see two people together, the person committing suicide knew those people aren't committing suicide, so I'm not going to do it. And so they would just move to some other place and do it. So now they rotate. I think it's something like 20 people in one day will rotate just by themselves, and they look for people committing suicide. And what he, he says, there's nothing too spectacular about what I do when I see somebody about to commit suicide. Um, he said one thing. He goes, first of all, they never do it on a rainy day. Second of all, they do it once, um, once people are either coming or they're going to remind them of their hatred for people. So they'll do it when people are coming in there because they're like, oh, that gives them courage to do it. Or when people are gone, they want to do it so that they don't get any more attention on themselves. So the stories are pretty interesting. There's a lot of the stories written about this guy. In fact, I found one from three years ago, and it's, it was an article. It was entitled, uh, Man Saves 500 People from Committing Suicide. So he continues to do it. Uh, what was interesting is he said these people... It's not really hard to go help them. He said, all you have to do is go up to him and say, hey. And he actually said, hey, how are you doing? Are you hurting? Do you want to talk? And he said the most of the people he goes and talks to end up saying, nobody cares about me. You're the first person to ask that. You're the first person to spend time with me, blah, blah, And it's not always the case, but he reported that it's really not difficult to go and save somebody's life. You just go up to them where they're sitting on the cliff because they usually spend some time thinking and reflecting and waiting, and then they jump so you have time to go and do something like that. Darrell, I mean, he, you could, we could quote your line and say, all those people, he doesn't see them in their boat. He says, hey, you're in my boat. I'm just going to walk over to where you are. And sincerely, from Darrell's piece to this illustration, that, that actually is a mirror image Though a smaller one, it's a mere image of what our God has done. Our God sees us in our desperate state and has been waiting on that cliff and runs over to us and asks a whole myriad of questions. And he's not like us where we ask a question like when we know someone's doing really poorly and horribly. You go, hey, how are you? And you don't caveat it with, I know you're not doing well. I know we fumble over words. And, you know, losing a grandfather Lots of people have fumbled over words, and it's fine. It's, we don't know what to do in those moments. But to not do anything would be the opposite of our God. Our God, genuinely, you could see him watching on the cliffs, and he comes up with the perfect question and the perfect answer and the perfect presence. He's the helper. He comes to help when you need help. That's exactly what John is saying in chapter 16. I'm going to pick up in verse I'm going to pick up in verse 7. I tell you the truth, Jesus, by the way, he's hanging out with his closest friends at this point, and he's going to uh, die on the cross within 24 hours of him sharing this. So they're sharing a meal, and he says, it, he's talking about dying on the cross and then going back to be in relationship with his father physically back up into the, their home of heaven. I tell you the truth, it's to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper, capital H, that is helpful with grammar. He's talking about the Holy Spirit as a person. Not just something that it's not a not a, an action word, it's a person. The helper will not come to you unless I go. But if I go, I will send him to you. Not a not an it, but a person. I'll send him to you. And when he comes, he'll convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. 
concerning sin because they do not believe in me. I mentioned last week, and if you're visiting with us or you've been here only a short time, you weren't here last week, I taught on the verses I'm reading right now, so I'm not going to talk a whole lot about that, but I'm going to give a small review just so you can have it in context. But concerning sin because they do not believe in me. And last week we saw one of the key things, that ultimately the greatest if you want to describe it as sin, which is a helpful word. If you're not familiar with the word sin, that is a word the Bible uses to describe God's way and our way. And when we have chosen to go our way in any way, shape, or form, whether that was all-out rebellion or looking at what he desires and you say no, or no to his love or no to his kindness or no to anything about him, it's just an ultimate reality of you go your way, I go my way. There's a brokenness of trust. There's a brokenness of relationship that mars and affects the relationship. And the Bible uses that word as sin. And so when he says things like considering sin for those who don't believe in me, ultimately what I would describe to you as the greatest sin is refusing that God truly exists, refusing that he is. You can debate on some of the things that he's done because maybe they're mysterious to you and you can't understand it, but to ultimately bring that all the way back up and say, I don't believe you, not just about you, but I don't believe you, that you're real or anything like that ultimately becomes in many ways, the unforgivable sin. If you'd say, hey, what's the thing that I could do that God couldn't forgive? It's to deny that he is. He is what? Well, just that he is, (laughs) that he's God. Well, I'm not sure if he's good. Okay, but do you believe that he's God? Because that's at the basis of our belief. We gotta start from somewhere. And John's writing and says the Holy Spirit's gonna help you with that. He's gonna help you overcome your unbelief ultimately about God. He says he's gonna concerning righteousness because he goes to the Father And you'll see me no longer in verse 11 concerning judgment because the ruler of this world will be judged. Then he goes on to say, I have so many things I still want to say to you, but you can't bear them at this point. Let me just read um, a verse from, this is a different way of saying this. It's the message version. There's a guy named Eugene Peterson who was trying to make the Bible more understandable to people. So he took a verse in a section like that and he tried to put it in more common terms. And I really like the way that he describes sin specifically. Verse 8, he says this in the message version. When he comes, when the Holy Spirit comes, he'll expose the error of the godless world's view of sin. So we think we know sin, but the Holy Spirit actually helps us see sin in light of, in context of, the holiness and the otherness and the grandeur and the indescribability of God. He helps us see sin in the the glory of God and in the grotesqueness of our rebellion and sin. And I will say this, as somebody who's, spent the last about 25 years studying the scriptures and being trained. And, and, you know, I just, Daddy Bill just passed away, and he was one of the most influential mentors spiritually in life, for my, my whole life as a Christian. And so I learned so much from someone like him as well to understand that I will never actually know the, the bottom of the cup of my sin <laughs> is quite a sobering reality. It's one thing to go, I'll never understand God and how glorious he is. I think we accept that, and we probably even hope for that, because if there's a God that I can stand here and describe perfectly to you, that's a pretty small God. And in some ways, I'm not afraid to go the other way and go, I can't completely, squarely explain my rebellion or sin unto God either. Because somebody has maybe could have written down every single thing I've said, or everything I've said and done on the outside, but you've never seen my inside. And in fact, I've even been deceived about my inside (laughs) because the deceiver that I would partner with back when I was all kinds of intentionally rebellious would deceive me about my deception. So I wasn't deceived. And when I've looked into the supernatural and actually seen demonic beings 
it is so evident that they are actually deceived about themselves. So I get it. So the beauty is when you get more advanced in years, if you're walking with God and just listening and trying to take things in, you're going to realize there's a progressing reality of he's greater than I ever imagined. He's bigger than I ever imagined. He's more kind. He's more loving. And you might also realize, not only because you're realizing how great he is, you also might realize just because of the sheer growth that the, the chasm or the, the distance between the glory and the grotesque rebellion is bigger. The Holy Spirit helps you figure that out. The beauty is that he tells us about righteousness and judgment, and he'll show the people, verse 8 and 9-ish, he'll show the people, he'll show them that the refusal to believe in Jesus is their basic sin. And I would say this, you know, our conversation's called Believe Jesus Changes Everything. <laughs> and Jesus even changes what we believe and how we believe it. <laughs> That's what's so cool about it. It's not just believing in Jesus, but it's then, it's, Jesus, by the way, God is not interested in, if you grew up in the South, you may have been told that he's interested in you getting saved, and that meant you uh, confessing your sin and confessing your wrong, confessing rebellion and saying, I believe in you. And a lot of preachers, unfortunately, stop the conversation there. That would be like me officiating your wedding and a bride and groom are getting together, and I do your whole ceremony, you're married, you kiss, and then you go your separate ways for the rest of your life. And 10 years later, I'm like, so how you doing? What's going on? I'm like, oh man, we're married. I'm like, what's it been like? I haven't seen her since then. I don't know. <laughs> like, what? I signed your wedding certificate. Did you not consummate your marriage? Like, man, you're missing all the good stuff. What are you doing? Like, well, I mean, we're married. It's cool. I mean, I, I have a wife. That's, that's what I wanted. You just wanted to be married. You know, there's a lot more to it. Like, I mean, I know that's, that sounds ridiculous, but in some ways, I don't blame any of you. I, I'd like to talk with those who have convinced people that a relationship with God is like an acknowledgement of a brokenness, but never living into the wholeness that he defeated the brokenness for. It doesn't make any, if you, and this, this is where I get a little in my, my, uh, my good friend Adam was reminding me of this a couple of times this week. He's like, sometimes you get a little snooty with things. And I was going to say, if you just read the Bible, I don't know how you come to that conclusion. That's me getting a little snooty. So, because I just don't, I don't understand it. I don't understand how you can read about him in these words and come to that kind of conclusion. Henry Alford said it like this. Each man's conscience has a glimmering light on each one of these things, meaning sin and righteousness and judgment. Some consciousness of sin, some sense of right, and some power of judgment of what is temporary and worthless. But all these things are unreal, unpractical, till the convicting work of the Spirit has worked within us. That's super encouraging to me too, because I used to think when I first started uh, pastoring and do this, I felt like I had to keep talking until everybody's heart was changed. And I'd go home really frustrated and exhausted. And eventually, God was kind. He gave me about three years of doing that. And I was just like, come on, go and go. And I, just, I felt like I would just literally light myself on stage and be like, I got to get your attention, you know? And you're like, you're still doing that. I'm like, man, you should have seen me 10 years ago. I am so subdued now. It's, it's crazy. In fact, some people who saw me back then see me now. I'm like, man, you used to be a much better preacher than you are now. And I'm like, ah, you just needed me to, to demonstrate more to you. And you just like to show a little bit. Not that I was putting on a show, but just emptying myself in that regard. But now what I realize is the Spirit has to do that. The Spirit helps us understand the Spirit. The Spirit helps us understand Yahweh Father. And the Spirit helps us understand Jesus, the Son of God. And, and the Spirit helps me understand me. And where I don't want to understand myself because I might be too scared of what I'll find, the Spirit says, let me show you and help you, and I got you. It's so stunning. 
Last week, I talked about how the helper convicts us. And convicts, my favorite synonym for the word convicts is undeceives. It's something I found in my studies last week from a guy in the 1800s. And he used the word, the, the Holy Spirit undeceives us. And I went, oh, that word's lost in our culture. But think about it in this way. He undeceives us. And I mentioned four things last week. I'm not going to go through them, but it'll be on the screen for you. He, un, he undeceives our minds through correction. We see that in Proverbs 3. He undeceives our hearts through kindness. Romans says it's the kindness of God that changes the way we see, think, and act, or the biblical word repent. Changes, that leads us to repentance. He undeceives our bodies through consequences. Some people have been asking me how I feel at 40. It's the same way I feel since I've stopped working out a decade ago. That's how it feels. <laughs> Number four, he undeceives our spirit <laughs> through the testimony of his spirit. Maybe one of the best ways this has been described about it, undeceiving, if you've ever read C.S. Lewis, uh, Voyage of the Dawn Treader, it's describing this moment where Jesus is, is portrayed as a lion, and he goes up to this young boy named Eustace, and Eustace, because of his greed and deception, started at the root of him, converted and transformed from a human boy into an all-out dragon. And because Jesus, because God loves him so much, he wants to resurrect, bring back to life, restore who he truly is. And the only way to undragon somebody on the outside is to pull the dragon off. It's not like a Halloween costume that's easy to get off. It literally came from the core of death and sinfulness and rottenness in him, and it put on a thick layer on the outside that transformed him. And one of the ways that God does this is he these are my three points this morning. He undeceives. He had to undeceive Eustace to say this isn't who you are. Then he had to reveal to Eustace that, hey, you're actually a dragon. And then he actually restored Eustace. So you see in that image, a lion literally tearing off. And if you can see down here, the reality is that Yahweh can see, Jesus can see that he's a human. You know, Darrell said, you're not, you're not who you think you are. <laughs> Ultimately, and that usually is like a mean thing that we say, but God looks at you and says, hey, you're not who you think you are unless you know and think that you're my child and you've always been my child. Because of Jesus, God sees you as though you've only loved him in return all the time. There's no way that can be true. Is that crazy? What about me? That's why people write songs that go like, he has amazing grace. He has a reckless kind of love that's covering everything. He throws it on us so generously. If you're empty, a you know, a pint size, he just keeps pouring. And you're just like, man, not only did he fill me, he, it's just ever filling. Tim Keller, he's a pastor up in New York. I haven't talked about him in a long time, but I like the way he described this scene in C.S. Lewis. He says, the way to deal with guilt or whatever you're feeling that's rotten or broken in you, what a way to deal with guilt is not to avoid it. So many of you in this room have come to me for counseling and we've started in that place. I feel this way, I feel that way, I feel this way and I've been dealing with it for years and, and I ask like why? And you go, well, I, try, I think about it every day so I can get through it and I go, ah, that's part of the problem. You're, you're thinking about it and staying on it and the other option is not just to avoid it because it's not gonna go away. So what do we do? He says it's not just to avoid it but resolve it. Eustace not only realized he couldn't get his own skin off but that only God can come and take your skin off. Isn't that awesome? You know what? Well, I'll just read it because I think he's about to say it. And to do this, you have to let him pierce deep. You have to let him pierce deep. You must take all the guilt off yourself and stop blame shifting and take responsibility for what you've done wrong. No excuses. Full in the face. Ultimately, some of us have tried to 
just modify the dragon nature on the outside or hide it and we put on human clothes, but our tail sticks way out or the pokies just go through the shirt, whatever it might be. And obviously those are metaphors, but you know the masks you put on covering up the mask that got put on because of our brokenness. And God, you know, I think um, somebody said it. I think, uh, I think Brad Cole said it in his piece last week. I'm not sure who said it, but it's not a unique to them. But God's not the respecter of persons. You're like, whoa, that's mean. He doesn't respect people. No, he's not going to honor your defenses that say, respect who I am. Love goes, I'm going to go beyond what you put up in front of me to bring out the true in you. And sometimes that might be like ripping. When my young son, who's older now, but when he was young, I thought he had a mosquito bite on his leg. And it was one of those bad father moments because I'm kind of like, just put dirt on it and suck it up. I really did. And then I advanced a little bit three days later. We said it still hurt. And I tried to pop it and say, I think it's now a pimple. And it did not pop. And it hurt. And every time I touched it, he, I just felt like he needed to get a better threshold for pain. Eventually, we go to the doctor. The doctor takes about a, maybe a second and a half look at it, turns to me and goes, he has staph infection. Then he goes on to lay me on top of my son's chest, a nurse on his leg, a nurse on his other leg. My son is down, and the doctor takes a scalpel and makes an X over that area, and black and green and lots of scream is pushed, literally, just like, I don't mean to be gross, but you all probably get them unless you have a uniquely unique body. It wasn't like a pimple, I mean, but he pushed on it like that, but it opened, and it was so gangrenous, and he said, Chris, had we waited a week, it would have been into his bone. That's how deep it already had gone. So fathers, though you might think you know best, ask for help. Be compassionate and loving, and when the doctor says it's a mosquito bite, then you can put dirt on it, but until then, listen to a doctor on that way. The point is this, my son still talks about that to this day. And listen, when you're a dad and you're this far above your son's face and he's saying, help me, why are you not helping me for about 10 minutes while you're holding his body down with all of your strength? It just reminds me of this picture that we had to do that for my son because once it gets into your bone or your bloodstream, you're you're dead pretty quick because gangrene starts going through you. Pretty bad. He had to go through pain to cause him to, he was, he was limping. I'm like, why? I'm like, you're obviously faking. It's like this big, you're limping because it was, it was already in his muscles. We can't see well. I mean, that's just base floor humility is you aren't the expert on you. That's humbling to say, especially if you're a, a driven person. I'm a driven person. That's hard for me to say. Like, how do you know I'm not the, I, I know me better than anybody. And, and second place would be my wife. Like, what are you talking about? Ultimately, the scriptures are saying, we don't even know ourselves well, let alone understand God well, let alone understand others. And that's why we have people do spoken words and communicate art of different color and, and different race and different experiences so that we can actually begin to understand everything under the sun. So I would just ask you these couple little questions. How have you experienced the Holy Spirit undeceiving you? And maybe for some of you, it's been opening up scabs. You know, if you haven't dealt with things, it's the kindness of God and the proactivity of you that says, here's this area I haven't dealt with. And it's probably, there might not even be a scab anymore, but there's maybe some scar tissue that maybe you can walk more purely and think more purely and receive love and give love. But what has he done in the past? And what areas need, quote, undressing in your present? Uh, A lot of us in the room, about a third, maybe a little more than a third of us, get together on a weekly basis called city groups. And some of you just get to coffee with other people. I want you to talk about that. 
I'd long for you to talk about that with somebody else this week. How have you experienced the Holy Spirit undeceiving you in your life? Just share about it. And what areas might need an undressing now in your life? And then, you know, if you can think of some areas that might need some undressing in your life, if I, if I give us 60 seconds, I know that we'll be like, please keep preaching because I don't want to think about that. I get that. But what prevents you from partnering with God to do this painful yet needed work? Relationship doesn't act like, hey, when you really want to deal with it, God, you can get my attention and deal with it. The best relationship says, hey, is there something between us? And it's really ultimately us. Is there something I've done or said or thought or a pattern of my thinking that, that you need to undo or take off? And now there might be a revelation of idolatry. Like, I don't want you to touch this area in this area of my life. No, 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 don't touch this. And that tends to be the, the negotiation we do. But we're literally negotiating our own suffering continuing. So it's so good. That's why Jesus' first statement was, blessed are all those who are poor in spirit, for they will inherit the kingdom of God. He's basically saying, you are in the best spot of your life if you go, man, I don't know what I'm doing. I, I literally need help with every facet of my being. He'll go, woohoo, that guy or that girl, he or she is leading the way. They're the most put together. Like, I'm the most not put together. He's like, exactly. I will clothe you with my righteousness, and that will be write what gets ingrained with your being. Verses 12 through 15. I still have many things to say to you, but you can't bear them right now. So they realize the gap between what they understood and what they lived like and how they were doing things and where they were going. They understood a gap. And if you read the scriptures, they ask them things like, hey, are you gonna be the king and, and we're gonna overthrow Rome now? Or is it, we gonna do this tomorrow? Like, when are we getting to that? It's been three years. And hey, when we get to that heaven place that we envision where everything is back to the way it should be and there's, there's not just an absence of wrong, it's just all right and beautiful, can I, can I be your next door neighbor? And can we, you know, if we sit on a bench swing, can I sit on your right and left? I mean, they're literally using ancient language and ancient descriptions, but they're talking this way. And, and Jesus, in their wonder, he steps in and goes, hey, I know you have a lot of questions, but if I told you all the answers you wouldn't be able to handle it. I remember being young and my parents would give me that line, not from the Bible, they'd just say, you can't handle this. I remember when my grandmother died when I was about nine or 10 and I looked in the window and I saw her dead and they, they never told me that she died. They tried to they cover me and, and help me from experiencing that kind of pain. You know this as a parent, sometimes you're not lying to your child, you're trying to only give them that which they can handle. And Jesus says, listen, I get your questions but there's, it's just not the time for that. But then he goes in the next verse, verse 13. When the spirit of truth comes, he's gonna guide you into all truth. Hold nothing back. And he's not gonna speak on his own authority, but whatever he says to you, whatever he hears from me, Jesus, he will speak to you. And he'll declare to you the things that are to come. He'll glorify me, meaning he will help you see me in the most proper way. And he will take what is mine and he'll give it to you. <laughs> All that the father has is mine, by the way. Therefore, I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. What he just did right here. One, the first thing the Holy Spirit does is he undeceives us. Two, he reveals to us who the Holy Trinity is. And if you didn't catch it, Jesus' work was to wrap us back into the image bearing of God to inseparably wrap our identity, our being, every bit of our DNA back into divinity. Not that we are gods, don't think of it in that way, but you are gods and he is yours. You gotta know who and whose you are. And that's what Jesus' work was doing. Through his work, he's like, oh, 
I'm going to go away. When the spirit comes, you're going to go, oh, I know who I am. Oh, I know whose I am. And they hit the streets and tell everybody about it. It's a stunning moment. The model of our union with Jesus is his union with the Father. So you could say anything that God the Father says to you has to be also true of Jesus. Or whatever Father says to Jesus, you have to realize is also true of you because Jesus said, everything I have in the Father, I have, and I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit will give you everything that I have with Pops, Abba, Father, God, is mine, and I share that with you. I'm going to go away so that I can literally come home to you. In a relational context, it's true. As he is in his Father, in perpetual and most blessed union, so are we to be with him. So if you think your union with God is contingent on you coming to church, reading the Bible, praying, or doing anything in the, quote, spiritual, Christian, righteous, churchy stuff suddenly makes you more unionized or unioned to him or, uh, or, or um, covenantally in with him or, or some sort of conception with him. No, you're, just, you're experiencing that which is already true. You didn't do something to add to it. You're just living into it. And the same thing goes. You're not going to be able to undo that which God has put together. It sounds like marriage language, but that is what the scriptures say to the church. All of us together, is we're literally the bride of Jesus. And Jesus didn't just rescue a bride and say, peace out, I'll see you later when I return. He said, I rescue you and I give you myself, my Holy Spirit, and he will sustain you right till the very end until we see each other and meet in that beautiful union. All that the Father has is mine, therefore I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. That's what the Holy Spirit is doing. If you haven't been here for a while or the last three years, um, you might not know that our family has had the incredible privilege of adopting a little girl named Alexandria. And I have eight pictures for you. We're going to go through them real quick. But I just want to try to illustrate this. So this is, uh, oh my goodness, this is so sweet. So the first day we had a sneak meeting don't expect to get this with DSS, but we had a, you're not allowed to meet the child you're going to adopt. You just read their paperwork and you say yes or no in 24 hours. Um, and they, they made a few exceptions for us. So we went to go to paint your pottery and she was there with her caseworker. And they sat us at the same, the owner sat us at the same table. And I took this picture of her um, from the table when she was crossing her eyes. And when I got home, I thought, oh my goodness, I think we have a picture of Teta. This is um, Ruth Graham. That's Billy Graham's wife. And before she was, we knew she was ours, even though we knew that day when we saw her, I grabbed that picture and looked at the other one. I was like, oh my goodness, look, they're even like spunky the same. So I was able to tell Alexandria eventually, a couple weeks later when I said, I'm going to be your daddy. I'm going to go, you know, you make faces just like your, your great-grandmother. Already help her see that she's no longer who she was. She is part of a family that she's always been with. So that was the first day. This was, you know, you think, what was the glamorous way in which you told her you are going to adopt her? We were at uh, PDQ getting milkshakes. And Jerusha, that's my wife, by the way, with little Allie. This was about, so Jerusha goes, hey, honey, you know how the judge has been looking for a forever family for you? And she goes, yes. And she goes, well, the judge chose us to be your forever family. Do you want to be our, with us forever? And uh, she was seven at the time. And she looked across the table and saw Annabelle, our now 17-year-old. And she goes, will she be my forever sister? And we said, yep. And she looked at Liam and went, well, she didn't know what she was getting into with Liam. But she goes, does he come with this deal? No, she didn't say that yet. She'd say it now. Will he be my forever brother? Yep. So they're not going to be my foster brother and sister? Nope. Will, you be, will he be my forever daddy? Yep. Will you be my forever mommy? Yep. And then she just bawled crying and fell into Drusha's arms right there. That's what happened. 
this is the day. Uh, she's wanted to come on with us that day, but because of DSS process, she came to us, I think, the next day, and, and we gave her these, like, not that we're Hawaiian, but it looks like we are, but we gave her these things and uh, welcomed her. It said, welcome home on a balloon outside, and then after that, we went inside, and uh, the caseworker asked her if she wanted to be adopted by us officially, and so little Alexandria, just like you were talking about, um, with Frederick Douglass, she was able to sign that she wanted to join this family forever. And so little seven-year-old had to sign those papers right there in our living room. And then we took this picture as a family afterwards. So now the memories are anchored in that way. The next memory from there, um, this is when, so this is about two years ago. She was super nervous, you can tell. That's like the most calm-looking face by little Allie. <laughs> um, this is when she met Daddy Bill. And this was amazing. Daddy Bill really was not talking at all at this time. Uh, it would just be a rare thing. As soon as Allie walked up to her, in fact, some of um, my nieces and nephews were there with us and walked up to Daddy Bill, and he had no idea who they were. And it was just sweet. He's like, who are you? It was, it was kind of funny. You know, it, it hurts a little bit, but then you get used to it. When Allie walked up to him, he said, darling, I've been waiting to meet you. Never seen her. Soon as she walked up, there was, just a, there was just grace given in that moment. So Allie, now when we talk about her great-grandfather passing away, she knows my great-grandfather was waiting to meet me and knew me, even though he didn't know the other people <laughs> that he supposedly already knew. We've been revealing to Allie who she is and who she is. My favorite story from this, uh, which will be my third point, I need to hurry and close. The third point is that the Holy Spirit reveals our place with the Holy Trinity. Let me just read 21 through 24. When a woman is giving birth, she has sorrow because her hour has come. When she has delivered the baby, she no longer remembers the anguish, although I've sat with some women afterwards and they remember, but you get it. For, my wife remembered. For joy that a human being has been born into the world. And that's true. So also you have sorrow now because Jesus is like, hey, I know that you believe who I am, but I'm leaving. But I'll see you again and your hearts will rejoice and no one will take your joy away from you. In that day, you will ask me nothing. <laughs> truly, truly, which means amen, amen, which means let it be and let this be. I say to you, whatever you ask the father in my name, he will give it to you. And until now, you've asked nothing in my name because everything they ask, they ask in the name of God, the father, not the son, by the way. Ask and you'll receive that your joy may be full. One of my favorite moments in my entire life, um, now that I'm 40, it just sounds better, uh, after my 40 years is when I was sitting in the courtroom in the witness stand and the judge interviewed me and said, do you intend to adopt Alexandria Armfield? You can, you can put that picture up. Do you intend to adopt Alexandria Armfield? That's the judge on the left. And uh, I said, yes, I do. And she went on to say, do you realize that if you say yes, that she will be seen by the state in our country just exactly the same way that Annabelle and Liam are your children? I said, yes, ma'am. She goes, there's no difference now between Alexandria, Annabelle, and Liam. The government will actually see that she's only been yours. And I'm like, oh, snap, she's preaching. Like, this is, you, you just did better than the majority of churches right there. Is this Sunday? What's going on? I said, okay, yes. And she goes, do you realize that she'll receive a new birth certificate? And I went, no, yes, yes. New birth certificate, new social security, and no record of her past. She's always been ours. In fact, the judge went on to say, as far as the state's concerned, we will only see her record that she's always belonged to you. 
the Holy Spirit tears off the old by undeceiving us. Then he reveals to us who God is, who he is. And then he fully restores to us a new record. When it talks, this passage talks about asking in my name or asking in Father's name and joy being full. Because though you may lack certain possessions or wants in your life, the one thing you're not lacking is full reconciliation with God because of Jesus Christ and the giving of his Holy Spirit. And I promise you, things will come and things will go in this life. People who are more advanced in age can be a better witness and testimony of that. It's one of the beauties of a church that we have people who are older and more seasoned and can turn around and say, here's what I've seen after 60. Here's what I've seen after 70 years. So to have someone like Billy Graham, who when he was 95, we were talking, and 96, we were talking, he's able to look back. You know, when he, he lost his eyesight, you know what he told me? Read the Bible every day, Chris. And I went, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And he goes, no, no, no. One day you're not going to be able to see, and you're going to want to read then. So get the reading in now. When his hearing went out, same thing. I, I can't know that now. It's so precious. Now I know it. Now we all know it. It's not to, to gain something. It's to realize I don't have a guarantee of me having these faculties for the rest of my life. Jesus was truly saying this. William Barclay, he really makes the Bible simple in his words. He says here, Jesus is saying, you can go to God now because he loves you. And he is saying that before the cross, by the way. Jesus is saying this before he even goes to the cross. He did not die to change God into love, which can be a whole other message another day. He didn't die to make God a loving God. Jesus died to tell us that God is love. Whew. Jesus came not because he so hated the world, <laughs> but because God so loved the world. Jesus brought people to the love of God. How does the Holy Spirit help us? Well, the Holy Spirit wants our joy to be full. And the way he makes our joy full is he undeceives the way you think about yourself and, and God and others. And he says, I'm going to show you who you are and whose you are. What do you mean who I am? It's hard to believe how incredible the descriptions are about who you are because of God. In Christ, the life he gives. It's, it's literally as a communicator and artist there are not images and words sufficient to describe your belonging in him. He doesn't just do that. He reveals to us who we are, and he also restores. He, he actually makes us functionally working. <laughs> that day in the courtroom when the gavel went down, there was, a, there was a finality to that, and now we've been practicing together belonging. But belonging has never been untrue with us as far as the state's concerned. And when we fight and have arguments and struggles and discipline in the house with Allie, she is never leaving my place and her place with me as father and daughter, ever. So the Holy Spirit undeceives us about who we are. He reveals whose we are, and he restores our place in God's family. Hi, Andy. Would you stand with me? I just want to read this passage of Scripture. This is actually Jesus' prayer. This is Jesus' prayer in John 17, verses 20 through 26. If, uh, if it helps you to close your eyes, I'll read this, and it'll probably help you. If it helps you to keep your eyes open to focus and take it home, you can watch it on the screen. If you need to do something else, more power to you. This is our benediction in closing this morning. Spirit, thank you for uh, just anchoring this message in this passage. Jesus, thank you for your prayer that you prayed here.
This is Jesus talking to his heavenly father. Father, I don't ask just for my, my close friends, the disciples who are here with me. I'm also asking for those who will believe in me through the testimony of my best friends here. People like City Lights on February 25th, 2018. Father, I pray that they may all be one. Just as you, Father, are in me, and I, Jesus, are in you, that the people who read these words would also be in us. So that the world may believe that you actually have sent me because you love the world. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them. That they may be one even as we are one. I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one. So that the world may know that you loved me. Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, may be with me where I am, to see my glory that you have given me, because you loved me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you, and these know you, and these know that you have sent me. I made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them, and I in them. Holy Spirit, thank you for the work that you have done and thank you for the work that you are doing to undeceive us, to reveal who our Heavenly Father is and who our Savior Jesus is and who you are. Thank you for restoring that relationship so that we practice belonging together. Have your way this day. In the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, I pray. Amen. For those of you believing in Jesus, you are sent into the world. God bless you.